because if you if you're not honest with yourself it's not gonna last very long you know it's not gonna if you're pushing against the grain it's you're not gonna whatever it is you're, you're trying to do it's just not gonna happen unless you really love it and you, you believe in it everyone has ambitions things they want to do where they want to be for most of us those ambitions are still on the to-do list you'll get round to them maybe but some people overcame procrastination. They knew the risks. They said screw it and just did it anyway. I, Alex Chisnell, meet inspirational entrepreneurs, leaders in human optimization, entertainers, authors who all took that leap. They had the vision, followed through with the action and got from where they were to where they wanted to be. In this series of revealing, challenging and often surprising conversations, my hope is to inspire you to screw it and just do it and get from where you are to where you want to be. Make sure to subscribe so you're the first to be notified when a new episode is released and search Screw It, Just Do It to watch this and future episodes on YouTube. Now, on to today's show. A question I often ask my guests is, what legacy are you leaving? Another topic thrown around today, especially in my industry, is what are you investing in? Whether that's crypto, a greener planet, or even gold. But how about investing in yourself? Personally, I get up every morning, chuck myself in the sea, I go for long runs. Most days I do a 10 minute meditation and some yoga, investing in my physical and my mental health. But what about your financial health and indeed your financial future? Imagine having total financial security in your retirement, including protection for your family. They care for even after you're gone. Income for Life is an investment you can make today for your future and your family's future. A yearly income from your investment, plus a guarantee against any stock market losses. You'll get up to 10 to 12% return every year to provide a yearly income for yourself and a financial nest egg to leave your family and loved ones. Income for life, securing your future, your family's future, and the future of your business. I know you might be thinking, what's the catch? But there is absolutely no catch. This is just a simple life insurance policy with the promise of a secure income, safeguarding both you and your family's future. A new product on the market that you have the privilege of being amongst the first to benefit from. From me to you, so you can ensure you leave a strong and stable legacy. Email inquiries at capitalforlife.com and see how this solution can help you, your family, or your business partners. That's inquiries at capitalforlife.com to guarantee your tomorrow today. And don't forget to mention where you heard about it first. Screw it, just do it. Today, I've got the absolute pleasure of sitting with one of the three world champion Atherton siblings, Rachel, the most awarded British mountain biker in the history of the sport, about to be joined by former national champion Dan, her brother, plus here with Atherton Bike CEO Dan Brown, who must be overjoyed with the recent one-two finish at the World Championship. Yeah, for sure. That was some weekend. That was, uh, yeah. I bet it was. What a, what a day. Well, well, we'll dive into that. And the Athletons are probably best known for their influence within the downhill mountain biking space. But for anyone not familiar with the world of mountain biking, the Athletons are perhaps the most successful family mountain biking dynasty of all time. Dan is arguably responsible for getting into this when he picked up a BMX bike for fun when they were just kids. Going on to actually build his first bike aged just 10, which seemed to nicely foreshadow the business they now all run Atherton Bikes. We happen to be sat uh, in McCunluck. Uh, probably got the pronunciation completely wrong there and butchered it. <laughs> Over to Rachel on that. <laughs> that was terrible. In the showroom at the moment, surrounded by the fruits of your labours. 
Now, over the years, you've all taken a ridiculous number of trophies, including Rachel being the most awarded British mountain biker in the history of the sport, first female ever to win six downhill World Cup championships and the proud owner of now 40 World Cups. Uh, Dan, a former national champion, as I mentioned, and G, uh, the World Cup Series overall champion and top of the sport for over two decades, winner of nine World Cups and more than 50 World Cup podium appearances. And now, making 3D printed customised bikes with Atherton Bikes, We've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a lot when you list it all out. <laughs> but it does. So we're going to talk about competing in downhill uh, mountain biking. So kicking things off, tell me about the £10 BMX bike, I believe, that was originally bought. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot people ask, how did you get into the sport? And, and you know, how did you get to the top? But it does start from when you're a kid. And, and you know, most kids probably grow up having a bit of fun on bikes, you know, skateboards rollerblades, anything like that, you know, we were, we grew up in a, a very rural um, area. So it was down, down in Devon. There wasn't much to do, you know, not the traditional kind of, you had to make your own fun, basically. Yeah. Um, and Dan, Dan's the oldest and we've got G, he's the middle brother and myself as the youngest one. And it was very much a case of, yeah, just making your own entertainment. And Dan was, he was then and he still is now, you know, very kind of sort of creative, I suppose. Like he was never happy as a kid. Like mum always said, he was never happy just being, you know, in the garden. He wanted to build things and create things and, and make things for him and the other kids to do. So he very quickly started building just bike tracks on this little bit of scrubland. And, and it kind of became an area where us and, and all the kids in the village just kind of congregated and had this space to to kind of yeah grow up in really and it was for us it was bikes and he was he was kind of the driving force for us to get in, into cycling and and for most of the kind of kids in the area and he still has that kind of leadership quality about him people just seem to follow him and hmm. and he, he creates yeah places for people to express themselves and back then specifically what else did you enjoy what else were you good at what did you just do was it all based around bikes um yeah i mean i was very young like dan I, it's 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 mad to think back on it like dan dan just used sort of i guess magazines back then were the big thing you didn't have social media as such so he mm. he very quickly discovered like the, the bmx kind of world and then it, it quickly escalated into racing and i suppose dan was always like how 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 can i take this further like what can i do i want to do more jumps bigger jumps and so he discovered racing quite quickly and and G and G and Dan got into to racing BMX around the southwest, that kind of area, like around Exeter, Burnham. Mm. You know, there's a lot of BMX tracks around there, and and now it's an Olympic sport, but back then it yeah. wasn't. But it's so accessible BMX. You know, you don't have to drive to the top of a mountain. You don't have to have really any specialist equipment. We just rode bike. You know, you found in the skip, like just anything you could get your hands on, really. Um, and then me being the youngest. I just didn't want to be left behind. So I just did what my brothers did just because right. I didn't want to be left out. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and Dan was always the one with the vision. You know, he was always like, you know, Rach, start racing. Gee, start doing this. And um, yeah, he, he's kind of been the driving force our whole lives, really. Interesting. Pretty incredible. And I, I, yeah, and I, and I remember that neck of the woods. That's how I got into bikes was, was BMX racing. I remember getting a yeah. shiny new bike. Yeah, when you were a kid, yeah. like it's, yeah, it's about bikes and, yeah. you know, it, having having a place. Like that's why... It's so important whether it's pump tracks now are, are very kind of that's the new thing a specific area in town and villages and mm. it's so important for kids to have these areas where they they are kind of left to do their own thing and they can explore these different avenues and different right. interests and passions and yeah and it was yeah it was um dan kind of yeah was the driving force and and i think 
he he's always had that sort of vision bigger than where he is it's always been about what's next what's next like he's always wanted to go bigger go bigger go bigger and it's testament now that that place over 30 years later that area where we we grew up riding where dan started building those first bike tracks is still there it's still on the outskirts of the village it's still really popular the whole southwest area still rides there and that kind of speaks volumes really about the sort of legacy that he creates wherever he Mm. goes really that's awesome i Talk about legacy later on, interestingly enough. But you mentioned vision. Um, was Dan the one with the overall vision? And was that all around biking to start with? Or was there another, another vision to start with? Yeah, I think when you're, when you're little, when you're a kid, it's all mainly about having fun, you know? Like yeah, it, for him and G, it was about, you know, the, the next fun thing is big jumps and then bigger jumps. And, and it, it was sort of always about, yeah, just, just enjoying, enjoying yourself on bikes. and. When they started racing, we started racing BMX and I started racing BMX when I was about eight. So Dan must have been like sort of 10, 11 sort of age. And it very quickly, that competition like eats you up and, and, and it just is so exciting. You know, we used to travel around to the races with dad in a caravan and we'd go off all weekend and it was just such a cool lifestyle, you know, going all weekend to ride your bikes and compete with your friends that you've, that you've built up in, in that sort of race scene. And, and, and I think growing up in competition it, it it's very quickly develops a, a yeah a, a sort of passion for for pushing yourself you know it, it it's not all about race results and i think kids a lot of kids now are like with social media like how do i get sponsored how do i get more yeah. followers and how do i get seen but back then it was it was just you know for the joy of pushing yourself and and for the joy of yeah bettering yourself and bettering your skills and ultimately having more fun and it wasn't till a lot lot later where we sort of thought you know, could this be a career? Is this is there something in this? And even then, it was a very like organic progression into making it a career. You know, it was just following your passion, I suppose, from yeah. from an early age. But as kids, then who who or what inspired you at that time? Because as you say, it wasn't as accessible to flip your phone on and follow somebody on Instagram or, or look at yeah. a YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was a different way of finding out. Yeah, I think magazines were very very important. You know, back then. When, by the time we started racing and then you know I say you're often a product of your environment as a kid so we started mm. racing BMX and you know my dad lives, lived in Exeter and there was a BMX track great great facility there and so that's what we did and then we moved house to, up to Somerset and there was more woodland and more mountains around so then we started riding mountain bikes and we very quickly started racing racing the mountain bikes and it was all about the magazines really you'd get the magazine and you'd pour over it for the for the next month and seeing yeah. the and I think in in the UK there was a there was a lot of successful mountain bikers at that time. Yeah. There was like Steve Pete and Tracy Mosley, people that were were winning international races, and and I think that's really important to give you to kind of make you believe that it's possible. And and mm. we were very lucky to to have those role models when we were younger, growing up, and and that was kind of that was it really. Once you discover that competition and that that race side, it it really yeah it takes it takes hold of you and. The British scene in, in mountain biking is ma- amazing. It's massive, you know. If it was an Olymp- if downhill mountain biking was an Olympic sport, if it was, you know, cross country road ride, these would be household names. You know, we've, yeah. we've got world champion after world champion every every year, World Cup winners, loads of them, and and then the Olympic, you know, disciplines really struggle. And, and mountain biking, it's just so it, it's so good in in the UK, and that's probably a testament to yeah the magazines, the kind of and and the race scene, you know, giving these kids and giving people access to it, really. Yeah, it's all about access and 
and pushing pushing that limit. And I, I remember when BMX came into the Olympics. Um, is that something that that your sport's pushing? BMX changed very quickly when mm. it as soon as it went into the Olympics. It becomes more about the performance and the the kind of not I wouldn't say the athletic side because you know mountain bike we train really hard, but it's 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 easily controlled and it loses that kind of element of of what created it in the first place. And I remember interesting what you said about you know having role models and it being accessible because for me it was you know reading magazines and seeing them and somehow telling my mum about yeah, it. Yeah. And then it was like one of my friends was the first one to get a sponsorship deal and then just started traveling around the UK yeah. and thinking, wow, maybe this is achievable, you know? Yeah, and that's why, you know, mountain biking is and downhill is so it's such a cool sport because it is an, an elite, you know, a professional sport, but it's also, you, you, you can mix with the professionals and, you know, you go to a race and it's all very, it's all very humble, really. Mm. And, and the kids can chat to the pro riders. And, and I think that's so inspiring, you know, and probably one nice of the reasons way. why yeah, the Brits are so good at it. It'd be good to, be good to know as well, um, that for you, at what point did you realise then, um, like how old were you, where were you when you thought um, this could be a career <laughs> and what other options were there? I was the youngest and I, I, I just remember basically doing what Dan told me to do, you know. He, he was like, you can, you can race. So I, I was, okay, I'll do that. And then he was like, you can be good at this. You can win races. Like you could be World Cup, you could win World Cups. And I was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> I just sort of, I just, I just trusted him so much. And I looked up to him, you know, he was, he was, you know, not, I'm not going to say a father figure to G and I, but you know, when your parents separate and he sp they split up, like dad was always there for us hundred percent, but Dan was just such a, he, he just believed in G and I without before we even realized what there was to believe in you know and I think having that unconditional belief whether it's from a parent or a sibling or a coach or or anyone in in the life of a young athlete is you know like I I, did, I didn't even know you could make a career out mm. of downhill mountain biking and and Dan was you know he was already racing world cups and he was thinking you know these two could be good at this like he just saw it and, and believed in it and and I kind of just went went with it I wouldn't have done it if it if it wasn't for him 100% and I've said it before, you know, we, we owe, I owe all my success and, and, and my career to, to Dan, definitely, yeah. This is a very good moment to bring Dan in. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? Wow. Nice to meet you. How it's you? been an interesting morning. Yeah, Hectic. very interesting, <laughs> as always. Um, you heard that part of the conversation, Dan. Yeah. And we're, we're talking about where the vision came from, not only from the racing side of things, but let's bring... Uh, Dan Brown in very soon as well to talk about Atherton Bikes. But for you, what was that vision to start with? And when did you first start actually encapsulating something that bears some resemblance to what you've got today? Um, I think we were kind of, we were lucky enough to have like good mentors in, you know, parents and grandparents. And from a very early age, we kind of, we didn't really look at it as a, a short term, you know, something we were kind of, doing as a pastime we kind of thought about it as a as a way of life and it's always been a way of life and so mm. we were always kind of keen to put back into what we were doing you know invest in what we were doing mm. so you know with brownie coming along that was the first kind of step on that path to building a solid team and a solid crew around us that we could kind of take with us and when you kind of cast your mind back was there a specific moment that 
you thought this is what I want to do. Can you pinpoint any moments that you thought this is this is all I want to do? Yeah, I think I've always felt really blessed to have that direction and and kind of passion for mountain biking and cycling in general, you know, and mm. you know, it it gives you like a direction and it gives you so much focus in life. Yeah. Um that it's you know, if you have something like that, it's almost, you, I, f I feel like life's a little bit easier because you just channel everything into it. And mm. it you're kind not of, questioning where am I going yeah, next? Yeah, it takes yeah. you along for the ride almost. Yeah. It's pretty incredible, really, yeah. Like yeah. You've always created things, like you want to create this place in Kurzweil to ride and then it's the next place. And you've always kind of been a leader for, for people that are a bit lost almost or like <laughs> that, that have yeah this passion but you pie, are pie, so pie. focused on, on and like you know where where you wanted to go from such an early age and it, it, are you the type of people who have like a plan a structure or is it being kind of more organic <laughs> no it's very very structured yeah no it's not it's totally not <laughs> so, i feel like Dan's, yeah uh, brownie's making the comments down there. <laughs> yeah well, I think there's a there's a key moment in all in the whole kind of history and timeline as we uh, Red Bull paid for these guys to start working with uh, Jamie Edwards is his name. In 2008, he came on board and he basically walked into what was their their house in Mid Wales at the time and and just looked around, shaking his head and just said, "This isn't how world champions live." <laughs> and it was you know it was quite a. I came in in 2006. We'd done quite a lot, progressed through 2007, and then Jamie came in 2008 and kind of. Um, that was a big, big step change then, really, and just got us to look at what we were doing and how we were doing it. And yeah, that was a that was a big, big kind of catalyst, really, for making things more professional mm -hmm. um, and bringing some structure to what was chaos. <laughs> yeah. And where, where did you where did you find him? Yeah, he worked with Red Bull athletes. Yeah. <laughs> he worked with um, cricketers like Fred, Freddie Flintoff. And, oh, okay. Yeah, he'd been kind of always there and 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 Red Bull. But yeah. it's not like we had a, a plan saying like you know we're going to race for 10 years i feel like yeah. other other athletes and other people are very like you say structured and they're like right i'm going to do this for 10 years then we're going to start a bike brand then we're going to do this it's, it's always been quite organic and like quite a natural progression mm. you know because you don't know what's going to happen in life and how you're going to feel and what what your interests are going to be in five years you know but it's it's about really listening to like dan always says like what makes you get up in the morning like why do you want to get out of bed mm. and push whatever the reason is that's what you've got to find you know so that it's you're you're getting up excited you want to get out of bed and you want to do it and and for me that was racing and for dan you know it's racing for a bit and then he was pretty done after the injuries he had and it was it was creating this sort of center of excellence and it's always been about you know really listening to that that voice inside and 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 giving it a, a giving it a, a voice because it, if you if you're not honest with yourself it's not gonna last very long you know yeah. it's not gonna if you're pushing against the grain it's you're not gonna whatever it is you're you're trying to do it, it's just not gonna happen unless you really love it and you you believe in it and what age then did you all start like competing with with downhill racing you being the first i guess yeah i started when i was 16 um g was like 13 or 14 and rach kind of Rach would come along to races, but not ride too much in between. And then she started winning and she was kind of addicted to winning. But um, <laughs> we were like, Rach, if you're going to do this properly, you need to ride your bike as well as just win. And, uh, but she, I don't know, she was just, 
you know, just always so good at racing. Just from from the first race she did, she was able to find like another place in her head mm. that she went to that she could, you know, it was like a switch that she could turn. And that was always there, you know, you know, it's always been in her and it's pretty, pretty inspiring to watch, you know. Yeah, but you and G were good straight <clears> away because you 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 loved it, you know, after you would do your homework at school in, in lunchtime so that they could just as soon as the school finished, they could just ride the bikes and, and you know, their skill level was so much higher than the other riders in, in the UK and then internationally when they went abroad because they just they just lived it, you know, they just and I didn't really like riding. I just like competing, like Dan said. <laughs> but they just loved riding and that the skills you develop in those like you can't you can't rush that. Mm. Just hour after hour after hour mm. of you know the ten thousand hour rule. Like they were, yeah. they were just right, living that passion all the time, and yeah. and that goes a long way in in you know being good at something, whatever it is. Yeah, t- tell me a little bit about that then, both of you as well. That's that's interesting. Like the, the ten thousand hour rule as well. Um, when it comes to helping you get from where you were to to where to where you are now, um, and talking about like the not the sports psychologist, but mm. Jamie who, who came in. Um, how did that help you? Talk to me a little bit about like training, about like role models, the hours that you put in for training. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think people do underestimate just how many, how much time you do need to spend doing, you know, your chosen sport, and mm. and I think that's where the consistency comes from. And you know, in a sport like mountain biking, where you've got so many variables, so many different tracks, different weather conditions. You know, you have to be on the bike a lot to hit all of those different conditions. And so, yeah, you know, we would just do two or three sessions a day, every day, you know, unless it was a rest day. And, um, yeah, you just kind of get into that. You you just get into that mindset. And I I almost I've always thought, like, the better you get something, the more you love it. And you, it's like yep. a snowball effect, you know. You, you just get mm. better, and then you ride more, and more you, enjoyable. Yeah, you just yeah. it just feeds into it, you know. Mm. But that's why you've always said like, got to love it. You've got to love it because yeah. to, to put that amount of work and, and dedication and through the hard the hard times as well. If you don't love something, you're just not going to do it. Like yeah. you're just going to take the easy option as soon as it comes around. Well, it was like Charlie this week last weekend, wasn't it? We we signed Charlie five years ago, and it's taken five years for him to win a a wow. major event with us and we've always known he was capable of it yeah and obviously he's always known it but you've just got to keep the right yeah, conditions the right keep day plugging away and that's because he loves it he's not going to yeah. just yeah you, you'd do it anyway even if you mm. weren't winning you know you're not yeah. doing it to win but and i think that's like interesting nowadays where there's like social media and it's everyone's trying to like live the dream a bit more like what can i do can i start this should i do a coffee shop like what can i do you've got to still love it you know whether it's you know quitting your job in the city to become a carpenter, like you've got to have that passion for it. Otherwise, you just don't follow it through when it's when the hard times come, and that's you know they they do come round, and you've you've got a that's that's why I think you know we've had so many injuries between us, you know all three of us G as well, and you think oh this is ridiculous, I'm I'm never going to ride again, and soon as you get back on the bike you're like this is so fun like yeah <laughs> and then you're doing it again and it's just ridiculous most people will break their neck and then that'll be it they probably never ride a bike again dan had a year off and then he's straight back on it <laughs> was it, i was going to say yeah t- talk to me about um setbacks and, and what it's like to to literally get back in the saddle then because you, you've all had your injury maybe start with you dan and uh 
setbacks and how you you literally you know get back up and keep going yeah i think i mean the body is amazing at forgetting and and moving on you know i i i crashed and um and broke my neck v1 and i was super lucky you know didn't have any sensation of you know no numbness no 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 nothing paralyzed uh it was a long road to recovery and um really painful you know i was making videos at night on my phone saying you know don't ever put yourself back in this position because it was just <laughs> unbearable but um yeah time moves on delete the videos and get back on the bike and yeah it's it's amazing how the body can deal with it but you know every every top athlete will have those stories and you know mm. it's, it makes you into a more consistent rider into a more consistent athlete and kind of gives you the knowledge that you need to so this morning when i woke up before i brushed my teeth i did my new favorite thing my skincare routine now anyone that knows me will know that i am not the type to have an extensive collection of lotions and potions and i must admit that i've never had any sort of beauty routine ever but as I'm getting older, as we all are, one of the ways I'm focusing on taking care of myself better is with my skin. Caldera Lab provided the ultimate solution, a really straightforward, easy to follow, simple regimen of three products, morning and evening. Something I can definitely get my head around. Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare, creating high performance products that only require a minute twice a day to reduce wrinkles, fine lines and signs of aging. I use the regimen, three products to wash, hydrate and protect my skin. Protection comes in the form of this magical multifunctional serum packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units that also helps my skin look tighter and smoother, reducing the visibility on wrinkles and fine lines. Even, believe it or not, my wife said how healthy and vibrant my skin was looking. Can you believe it? So, from someone who has never had a skincare routine in their life, I'd say I'm a total convert. Because they'll have to pass on things I would personally recommend, the best offer available anywhere for Caldera Lab is your 20% off code. Just do it at calderalab.com. Just do it. That's C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B.com forward slash just do it. After my Caldera Lab skincare routine and once I brush my teeth, my breath is fresh, my face refreshed, and I'm ready to start my day. But it also crosses over to business as well, doesn't it? Like that, that resilience that you build yeah. up, like for sure, has <clears throat> come in useful time and time again. Yeah, just plugging away. You know, it's not about the, it's not about necessarily the that day. It's about the long term mm. or the bigger picture, really. Yeah. You know, when you're injured, it's it's very much keep that bigger picture in mind, like mm. a year's time, two years time. You know. Mm. I was going to say, is that like the purpose as well for like? for each of you like having that that purpose in mind so you've got you, you've got an injured you want to come back but when you are coming back it's it's tough there are yeah. setbacks along the the journey to recovery as well yeah and mm. i think you need to have a really kind of reactive mindset and, and to be adaptable i guess i've heard that a lot you know to be successful and stay at the top you do need to be adaptable and like dan said when you're injured it it does teach you a lot it teaches you a lot about the sort of resilience and and i i would say to myself like like what can i do today that's going to help me mm. get to there you know and if all you can do today is 
managed to get back on your feet and walk to the fridge you know that it's about those little goals and being happy with that process I suppose yeah. like that's a big thing on social isn't that like trust the process yeah. but it's really true you know you need to you need to be able to put your 100% focus into that little day into that bit because those accumulated like ticks off the goals are going to get you to where you want to be you know mm. ultimately and yeah. whether that's through an injury or through your career or through business it's all about what you can do in that moment to to succeed i suppose or you know to get further along that 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 path and and tell me a little bit about um so dan was saying like you know how, how much you were winning um do you still have that mindset do you feel like you're in the zone or whatever phrase you'd use you do you do you recognize that when you when you you're getting into that zone and you you just have that single-minded uh mindset that you you're gonna win yeah yeah definitely i mean I, i've always taken a, a probably a bit of a different approach like to, to winning and you know to my to my career or just just so kind of what i've learned organically really like I don't really believe in a positive mental attitude. I believe like the worse you're thinking, the better you'll do. <laughs> really? And I think it's, but that kind of relates back to like, you know, those injuries and like, the, I feel like for, for me, the bigger the obstacle to overcome, like the more problems, the more things have gone wrong, the more focused in you get, the, the harder you try and the more experience, you, more of your A game you bring. I feel like when you're confident, it's all going well, you're like, you're kind of a bit blasé, like, yeah, mm. you know, I've got this. Whereas when things are going a, a bit, pear-shaped and, and things are maybe a bit more difficult you've maybe got an injury you know the weather's bad or things you have to focus in on you don't leave anything to chance and and I feel like for me that's the best way to perform you know when when things are going a bit yeah the things are difficult you really bring everything you've got to the table and and I think I've I've learned that that's for me the best way to to get a performance out of myself is you are pretty unique though things go wrong yeah. <laughs> that, that is like from working with probably 10 12 athletes in the last 15 years you're the only one that takes that approach really <laughs> yeah i've never i've never seen rach confident and you yeah. know on her a game the it's, morning it's the crux race. isn't it really? it's yeah. the crux that she needs it's unbelievable yeah but if you're sat in your office like you know orders for bikes rolling in like too many like oh, i've got this like everything's mm. going well don't need to Whereas if you're like, I haven't got any orders, like we need to, come on team, like what can we do to, to get this better? And I think that's the attitude you need all the time. Like, you know, that's just pressure then that you put, and you put that pressure yeah, on maybe. yourself. It's definitely bit. a way of you dealing with the pressure. And the, and the injuries are the same. So my career's just gone like that. You're like, I've won year after year, I'm winning and winning. Then I get an injury and I'm out for the year. And then the next year I'm back winning because you've gone to the rock bottom, you know, you've gone low and you, you have to bring everything to get back on it. Was that like last weekend? Didn't you like dislocate your no, shoulder? No, that didn't work last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be, yeah. I don't know, I it, was it, pretty, <laughs> it was pretty inspiring, the fact that you actually rode though. Like, you know, you did nothing the whole weekend and then you were able to flip yeah. that switch that morning off and somehow get down. Yeah, know? I suppose, yeah. I mean, I've dislocated my shoulders a lot and had surgeries, blah, blah, blah. And the World Championships were in Scotland last week and Home World Cup, we've been Home World Champs, you know, I've been thinking about it for years and training hard and... I hurt my shoulder, like dislocated it out and popped it back in myself and then missed two days practice and somehow managed to find like, she was, she was saying, you'll be fine, Rach, you'll, you'll be fine to ride. And I was saying, I'm, I'm out of this competition and somehow managed to get it, get it taped up and, and, and I did the race. And, and it's just like Dan said, like switching that 
thing on in your head where yeah. you want to do it. You know, you're passionate. You you you're sort of willing to take the risk. Is it, is it? You know, are the risks worth it? It's always a balance and and trying to figure out how much to push and how much to do yourself to put into whether it's a sport or business or whatever it is. And and coming back from what nearly four years out as well. Having you know, COVID, uh, giving birth to your daughter, and then coming back and winning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's been an up and down career, really, but I was winning 2019, still winning World Cups on our, on our own bikes. So we launched Atherton Bikes in 2019, start of 2019, and, and I was thinking of retiring, and I was thinking, right, I can't retire. I want, I want to race World Cups on our own bikes. You know, Dan's had this vision for, for years to do our own bike company, and 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 then suddenly here we were, like we had the team, it was all kind of perfect. And and I came that year and I, I, I won two World Cups on our own bikes and that was just ridiculous to win to win a World Cup on our own bike was just but to win two and then I snapped my Achilles tendon halfway through the year and, and that put me out and it was just that's just the way it goes, you know, up and down and then had my daughter in twenty twenty one and kind of thought about coming back to racing and, and and then I did the first one this year and I managed to win it somehow. So I won the first yeah. World Cup and that was just ridiculous. Yeah, it was just such a huge surprise. And, and uh, yeah, just, I guess, a testament to, like we said, it, actually enjoying the process of, of what you do like day to day. I loved the training. It took me a few years to find that motivation again, but I couldn't train without a goal of, of racing. You know, I couldn't, everyone was saying just, just get in the gym for yourself like you just get fit and strong you know but I was thinking I need something to drive me you know people sign up for Ironmans and triathlons who give them that motivation and for me I need I need something huge as a reason you know it just to be fit and strong it's not a big enough reason no. you know when you have such high highs you need such big things to motivate you and so I was like okay I'm gonna go back to the World Cups and I was thinking oh my god <laughs> I've now got to put the effort in and and without those goals, it's really hard to get the most out of yourself when you're already successful because, you know, you do lose motivation. What's the point? You've mm. been successful. You could just kick back at home and enjoy it. But giving yourself goals and, and I feel like that's why we've always pushed quite hard in, in business and starting all these different things because it gives you a reason, you know, it gives you a reason to keep pushing and to keep bettering yourself and to keep, yeah, to keep like pushing the bar and, and yeah to keep bettering yourself and whether that's to kind of give give something back to the sport or yeah then it leads us nicely into into athletes and bikes and before yeah. i do it something you, you mentioned there um you know having had your daughter and you know for you did your did your purpose change as to why you get out of bed in the morning and why you do what you do <laughs> yeah i mean definitely you know having a child is huge and you know, I've always wanted a family, but there's never a right time as an athlete. You never think, okay, now's the perfect time. Like I'm going to either retire or, or still, I wanted to do both. I still wanted to do both. And, and it doesn't, maybe it's a lot harder to do both, but it maybe doesn't have to be, I didn't want it to be like such a huge negative thing. You know, you lose sponsors, like everyone's mm -hmm. like, oh, you've retired because you're having a kid. Like, why can't you, why can't you do both? You know, it is hard, but it is also possible. And, and, winning that first World Cup as, as a mother, which has never been done in our sport before, it, it just kind of, you know, it's not easy at all. But you don't have to maybe choose. Like, you, you can yeah. put in the hard work and you can maybe 
have a good balance of, of life and a career and as, as a woman it's definitely a lot harder but it's it's doable and yeah did, did you did you have role models and you but in your spot you said mm. no no yeah it was definitely hard to find you know to be to find those women that were that were kind of doing it and I was very yeah anxious and had no idea like you say what's your purpose mm. I didn't know if I was going to retire or if that would be the end or if I was going to return and and I still don't really I'm really just taking it kind of race by race and and month by month and it's a real challenge to to kind of be honest like with what you want because you want both you know yeah. you want to be at home with your kid and you don't want to miss anything but you also want your career still and you want that kind of purpose and it's really hard to go from that kind of focus lifestyle to, to suddenly having no focus mm. apart from raising a child like and, that's, and the structure goes out the yeah yeah because you've got to be flexible yeah with a, with a so it's child. yeah i mean it's just yeah it's been a huge learning curve and it's definitely helped seeing other athletes not so much in our sport but like you say other other more mainstream sports doing mm. a bit of both and does talk of retirement ever come back i mean i remember earlier this year interviewing alex good who's um saracens in, in england fullback and he was he was 35 and um the conversation completely disappeared down a rabbit hole that we weren't planning on going down <laughs> but it was all around look i'm literally scared at yeah. what lies at the other side and I don't know what else I was going to do. And I was like thinking, you know, Saracen's probably the most professional club in England. Surely you yeah. you have all that done for you and you talk about it. He's like, nobody talks about it. Yeah. And I was like, really? Such a terrifying subject, I suppose. Yeah. And I feel like super lucky. Like we've got, we're all so close as a family and a team. We have got businesses and it's still hard. You know, I've basically had four years of retirement since mm. I snapped my Achilles to now. And it's it's been pretty, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a shock to the system because your expertise are in these areas you know I'm good at racing I'm good at competing I'm good at training you know I'm not good at the business side of it I'm not really good at anything you know it's really hard to transfer those skills over and and Dan's always said like people you do what you're good at and you get other people to do what they're good at. What brings us to a good point like being (laughs) brownie more into the conversation let's talk about Athens and bikes but when did you guys all first meet so when did you become part of the business oh uh well we met probably i don't know 2005 something like that and then um i joined them in 2006 um and yeah we raced for what 15 years on the world cup circuit Uh, it's a long time (laughs) um before thinking about yeah next steps and yeah over that period of time we talked about um starting bike companies doing doing something with the after name which ultimately we kind of managed to build up quite a good following of over, over that period of time isn't there like we want to do something with like say this thing we've built but what but what what is that and dan would always be sketching on pieces of paper for bike designs and as we drove around europe and um in the back of sprinters and stuff so there's always kind of seeds of ideas kicking around um but yeah it kind of the bike company came about at a opportune moment really where we were coming to the end of a sponsorship contract um with a global brand and there was an opportunity to join forces with a group of designers, engineers who've got a pretty cool idea behind the product um, where they were printing, 3D printing metal to, to make the complex areas on the bike which deal with the, the loads um, and then joining them together with carbon fiber which also allows you to make some really good fitting bikes because you can make them ultimately any size you wanted. So tying in our kind of expertise from developing bikes for other brands, which we had done for, for those 15 years. Um, we designed bikes with, mm-hmm. with, with a number of different brands, using that expertise um, 
and bringing it in this kind of concept in from from the uh, designers and engineers um, was a was a really good combination. And then add the Afton brand into the mix, and it just seemed to make sense. Mm. A huge risk, um, huge risk, and still is to this day. And is that because that you shifted the model? Is, is yeah, yeah. I mean, we were so. we basically took out the main sponsor. Mm. Um, of of the race team, um, yeah. the comfort blanket that that brings, and <laughs> brought in the complete um, unknown of starting. Yeah, a new we business. were riding for Trek at the time. You know, that's the biggest brand in the world, and yeah. to suddenly start your own bike company, they all thought we were mad. Yeah, they still what do. Was, what, what, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, what was that conversation like with? Uh, or was it a conversation, a series of conversations? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the path was laid out. We could have continued as we were, for sure. But it was always about, and it always has been about pushing boundaries. Um, you know, we started um, a, an event with Red Bull up in, uh, not too far from here, the Red Bull Hardline. And that was yeah. about pushing um, downhill racing that little bit further, just pushing mm. those boundaries. And, 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 you know, it's what Dan, G and Rachel have always been about is doing things a little bit differently. Um, and this just felt right then to, to continue that through, to continue the legacy on of the Afton brand, but also to keep pushing those boundaries. And tell me a little bit about the, the development process then of uh, what we should call the world's fastest downhill bike. Oh, yeah, it is now. <laughs> yeah, we can take that one. Got yeah. one. And the second fastest downhill yeah. bike in the world yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, um, we were work lucky to work with a, a suspension engineer called Dave Weagle, who's, who's well known within the sport. Um, we've known Dave probably since the start of racing, really. So we've got a bit of a relationship with him, and that helped us work together in designing a suspension kinematic, which is kind of how the bike. Uh, response to bumps, hits and turns, and then kind of tying that together with uh, the engineering and, and, and the, the work that had gone into the, the kind of concept behind the product, and then ultimately design it for the first kind of 18 months, racing it on the World Cup circuit, Rach, you know, one, two World Cups on a very prototype product, one that was changing from one race to the next. It mm. was it was ridiculous. It was <laughs> hard to keep up with, wasn't it? Yeah, it was ridiculous. I think it was the fact that we because we were 3D printing it, we weren't stuck to like a, the concept of a mold. Mm. Um, we could make changes. And so the temptation was always there, every race to make changes. Right. And it, it's ended up with a very refined product now. But, you know, at the time for those first two years, it was a nightmare for the guys here. You know, every race just changing, changing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's given us an amazing product now. And what was the goal at the very outset? Was it to build the world's fastest downhill bike well you know we come from racing and that's all we've ever done so of course the the goal was to make the fastest bike you know whether that was kind of what we set out to do or not but you know yeah so there was kind of two halves and there's yeah, the performance right. side which is obviously like very important to us and then like dan said there's building the bikes that we would want to ride growing mm. up as kids and and like you say just at the bike parks every day it started with the performance and because that's the high end and then you sort of was sort of filtering it down and mm. hopefully bringing more bikes in at more of affordable price, I suppose. I think like Brownie said, you know, we'd always ridden for other bike companies. And so the process of refining a, a product until it's at its very best was so in, kind of ingrained in what we did in the off season that, you know, we very much worked with the engineers here and refine and refine and refine until we were super happy with the product. And I think that will always happen. We wanted to create something like Dan said, like we've always done, you know, we've always tried to do things like 
differently and better. You know, we were one of the first teams to do this kind of web series following behind the scenes of, of how it is to be an athlete on the World Cup scene. And, and now everyone's doing it. You know, mm. it's, it's all about sort of finding those things that aren't been done yet and, 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 and doing those because that's what interests us, I suppose, and, and doing it in a different way. You know, it's so exciting rather than just doing the run of the mill the same as everyone else is doing. It's exciting doing things differently terrifying and risky <laughs> <laughs> and who did you look for, for for inspiration when it when it comes to the business side of things what companies or individuals were you, were you looking at that you thought was there a blueprint out there that you could follow <laughs> i think um in terms of the the, the manufacturing process we have it's mm. it's very young it's very um it, i'm active manufacturing has been around for, for a good number of years but historically mainly used for prototyping on in small numbers mm. um and we're kind of at the, the the cusp of it really in terms of it moving into a mass manufacturing and of in the cycling process really. yeah you know like the engineers you know the guys on the team have worked they've come from aerospace and, and f1 right. where that go. process the manufacturing 3d printing it is used in those sport in those sort of areas but within cycling and it's been so interesting the last year we've seen uh specialized and other big brands have started prototyping in the same way that we are because they've realized okay. like how reactive it can be and it's helping them speed up their design process mm. so it's it's kind of cool to see a global brand like that kind of copying us basically and how do you how do you grow and, and scale the business a kind of a general concept behind the product is a, a lug and tube construction um exactly. which is it's very different to we have an example yeah, yeah for those watching <laughs> um, which, which basically you, you deal with all of the complex loads through the, the, the material, titanium material on this product. Okay, so this is the 3D printed bit. Um, okay, okay. And then the tubes yeah. are conventional uniformed um, shape, which, which basically are very lightweight. Yeah, um, and the carbon there's, there's less load going through that product. So like I said before, what it ultimately allows you to do is, is have, um, because we've got a toolless process for, for this product, so there's no commitment to molds. We can just have use different digital files to create these parts really quickly. So we have lots of different sizes. We can put the material exactly where we want it, um, and that basically gives you a very strong product. Um, and that concept moving forward, lug and tube is is basically how we're going to scale the business. We're going to we have a prototype right now that's nearing production that allows us to scale um, in the thousands rather than the hundreds, mm-hmm. um, and we're looking to bring that to market hopefully in the next month or two. And when it comes to something like, like this at scale, it's going to cost you more money. So as you go out to the market and, and raise funds. Yeah, no, it's uh, we, we've, we're in a position now. We're in this building. We've, we've outgrown it. Um, nice and off the back of the weekend, yeah, <laughs> off the back of the weekend, we're certainly definitely going to be bursting at the seams because, yeah, sales are, are, are flying in off the back of Rachel's result. Andy also won his first World Cup, who's our Austrian rider. Yeah, uh, he, he also won his home World Cup, which was right. amazing scenes as well. So we've had Rach win her first World Cup back, Andy win his first World Cup, and Charlie win his yeah. World Title. Yeah, that's what you mean by, by the weekend. The World Championships of down mountain biking was up in Scotland in Fort William, yeah. and, and then our British elite rider Charlie Hatton, who's from Forest of Dean originally, and he won the race, which is a massive deal. He became world champion on British soil on a British-made bike, which is actually massive, and we haven't really talked about it yet. To win on a British bike in Britain, it's it's huge. And um, like Dan said, our other elite rider, Andreas Kolb, won one in Austria, and 
it just it's so cool isn't it seeing the the proof there like we know they're good bikes we know that it's it's this is like the future and to see the race results come in so quickly after we launch in four years we've got world champion we've won four or five world cups yeah it's it's massive and it's a real kind of boost for the for the team and it must be a, a marketer's dream having an atherton winning on an atherton built bike <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think the bigger milestone was having a non-afton winning on an afton yeah that's right. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah that's powerful isn't it you know when the when the afton bikes becomes bigger than afton athletes yeah individuals is when we know we're making progress and yeah and that's where you dream it gets to really it's uh, atherton is the name of the bike in its own right that's the company and our family name and our career is it's in the past you know and the brand stands alone and that's that's the goal really isn't it and, have that first win on it is just yeah incredible and what um what are your different roles in the business at the moment like um between you we only even talked about the bike park have we <laughs> yeah that's true no. <laughs> <laughs> where you just come from where dan's just come from yeah no so we 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 bought uh forest in 2019 similar time to starting the bike company so we we've we've had two startups running side by side <laughs> along with the race team so two it's, massive startups as well it's been a crazy four years but yeah that's dan's baby really that's where he creates the best riding in the uk and arguably some of the best tracks in, on the planet now um mm. and it's exciting to see that grow and that's your passion yeah i think well it was kind of we knew there was a process there and um and so we thought you know it would be amazing to to first of all have a bike park uh, where we could you know test these bikes yeah. and bring people in and kind of build a scene around a bike company um but then earlier again than that you know to have a, an event like red bull hardline that kind of puts the area on the map you know so whilst we were talking about structure in business before you know it's, there was like this loose kind of idea of you know we've built this name of afton um and then you know, we're going to have this event hardline and build, build a scene, kind of build an area, build a, build a name for the area and then start a bike park um, that's going to bring people in, going to bring people to the area. People are going to buy into the name and then we're going to start a bike company. And, you know, ultimately the bike company is kind of the, the main vision for the whole lot. You know, that's, that's what everything feeds back to, you know, that, that name on that bike is, is where we want people to go ultimately yeah. but the bike park's sick you know like seeing people we get hundreds we get about 150 odd people a day four or five days a week and yeah it's a huge footfall normally it's whistler or you know mm. morzine in france mm. and, and suddenly there's this place in the uk that's a dream it's a dream mountain bike escape and a massive mountain a forest and the, there's tracks everywhere and they just have the run of the place you know you, you get in the Land Rover and it takes you to the top and you ride back down and it's it's amazing to be able to just be there and see people enjoying it and see people just loving it and, and give them and mountain biking it's kind of very much like up to you know the, a bit of luck and a bit of like how much time your parents can put in and to get you to there mm. and now there's more bike parks coming out it's kids can come here and they can ride amazing tracks and progress and we see races we see all the World Cup races, the UK guys, and, and now more international guys come in to train here and then they go and win World Cups Amazing. and they come back here to train. And it's just so cool to, to be able to offer 
that kind of facility here in the UK. It's yeah, it's it's definitely the dream. And is that um part of that wanting to give something putting something back into the sport and as part of that wanting to leave something behind as like a legacy piece. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of building and creating what we would have liked to have had when we were growing up. You know, we we went out and built dirt jumps and downhill tracks and kind of built what we wanted to ride and so but we were lucky we lived in a place where you could do that. Not everyone has that. Mm. So I think starting the bike park was yeah partly about giving back to the mountain bike scene that's kind of brought us us up and given us such direction in life and and yeah partly helping with the younger generation coming through and hopefully that younger generation getting them on the brand getting them on the Aston bikes and kind of creating that household name that they'll kind of stick with yeah nice and along your journey from from where you all were to where you wanted to get to what moments would you say were just screw it and just do it anyway <laughs> yeah definitely. the forest purchase well yeah one. there's been so many times when dan's like phoned us up guys got to decide in the next hour this this is a massive opportunity like this hotel's come up for sale or this has come up for sale. we're like dan we cannot buy something this big in one hour and it, they it passes you by and it's it's about really knowing what opportunity is is right for you and mm. and at some point you're right it is a risk you have to kind of grit your teeth and say yeah screw it you're just going to do it because you can't set out everything perfectly there is a risk to everything you do and at some point you need to commit to it and and just give it your your effort and give it your all it's quite a, it's quite a shift mentally from being an athlete where all of the risk is on the rider like it's a very personal risk you know in terms of a business model mm. it's quite nice you know sponsors pay into the race team and the risk is on the athlete more than mm. on the business so suddenly shifting from that mentality you're not too worried if you get injured other than the fact that it's going to hurt um to that kind of business mentality where there's 15 years ramifications for this decision <laughs> um so it's a huge yeah it's a huge commitment I was that was literally going to be my next question which is which is brilliant I was going to say like what's your attitude to risk being like like from yeah. athlete to business interesting to to see <clears throat> it from your point of view where you're yeah what's your risk uh you're like, more, like? <laughs> you're in the business side of it look, rather than the risks of an athlete side of it really yeah I don't know how to answer that really <laughs> <laughs> I I actually think that athletes make terrible business people. Yeah, it's like terrible. if I'm honest, <laughs> you know, idea. your your appetite for risk is so high as an mm. athlete, and you know, you just become it's just embedded in you for like twenty years. You know, yeah. where if you don't take those risks, you're not going to succeed. Yeah, because at and, no point have I ever been really that worried about any of it because you're not going to yeah. die. So it's always that attitude, isn't it? If it, if it isn't going to kill me, then I'll yeah. try it. Whereas you're like, yeah. well. You're, this could happen this could yeah happen and this. it's always a yeah. it's never like in a tent. <laughs> it's always a calculated risk you know from the moment you wake up you know as an athlete from the moment you wake up you're all, you're just calculating but i think business is the same though isn't it it's mm. all calculated yeah. risk and it's yeah and you it, could argue that we've been really calculated because it's taken us over 20 years to commit to anything other than racing and that is a calculated thing we've been thinking about something for, for a long time and it's it's putting the risk 
taking the risk on something that you know is a pretty good bet in your experience? I think it's having, having enough visibility of enough elements in the business to be able to feel comfortable with taking the risk. And I think that's, um, yeah, that's where the skill set comes in, really. Yeah, yeah, and why it is important to, you know, have to, it, when you're going to set out on these paths and take risks, it's important to, to have a solid team around you and to build a team that, that does work well together and, and that can, that does have different expertise. You know, like I was saying earlier, like Dan's the business side, you probably couldn't win a World Cup. Probably. And, I, <laughs> Probably and like, I've tried to diversify into the business and other roles, but you've got to be honest, I can, I can race World Cups and that's where my, you yeah. know, that's where, what I'm good at. And Dan's spent the last 15 years. Becoming, I can't do either. No, that's <laughs> You're like the Pied Piper of mountain biking. No, I mean, the team thing's a huge thing we should touch on because, yeah. you know, we learnt it from, from racing. You know, downhill mountain biking is an individual sport which has got a huge bearing on the whole team behind the athlete, um, whether that's, you know, a cook at the race or whether it's a sports psychologist, the team mm. manager, the mechanic. You know the physio. God, you could go on and on. Yeah. You know, PR. You know, we've got you know Jill doing a great job on the PR side of things and communications. And it's just a it's just a massive team that goes into it. And that is the same, obviously, in business. And yeah. we're quite lucky um, that we've got a cool business in terms of you know the people that we employ all like mountain biking. They, yeah. they you know what they like. They love mountain biking. Yeah. Um, and we're doing collectively this this amazing project together and everyone is is as a much important person mm. as the next person. And um yeah, being based here in Mahuncliffe was was another of those key yeah, kind of decision true. moments that you were talking about before. Yeah. It, it was a huge yeah. risk. Can we can we convince people to move to yes, mid Wales? Yeah. Um with you know, with, with no Starbucks Yeah, and it was a real sight. question, wasn't it? Like we looked <laughs> yeah, at, yeah. we did look at other places. You know, down Bristol Way, like where near where the sort of machine, the printing machine comes oh, from, and okay. you know, more in the Midlands where Brownie comes from. And it's it's about you. You were very certain that because it's a small startup, but the people that work that work in the business, you're giving them their lifestyle as well. You're mm. not just giving them a job. You're giving them that opportunity to live the dream you know riding bikes living in the mountains having a good job it's the yeah. dream really but it is a risk for, for the business so yeah and we're, it's we're, about believing we're it, lucky people believed in it and have taken that risk you know we've had people move from scotland from leeds from yeah. you know from all over mm. south wales and yeah there's um yeah and hopefully they <laughs> they're enjoying <laughs> they're it still <laughs> yeah interesting um and I probably know the answer to this. So I've just spoken to you for the last hour, but is the two questions? First of all, is the business where you wanted it to be from the original vision? It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of size. Well, we've been through COVID, so that wasn't particularly helpful. Right. You know, we put the business plan together pre-COVID, um, and that certainly slowed us down. But in terms of the racing element, did we think we'd have a world champion on a bike by this point yeah. without an Afton as their yeah. name? No, not no way. Right. And, and we're very lucky to, to be, the race team's very lucky to be where it is with the support of Continental Tires as well. That's a, that's, that's a huge um, kind of factor in all of this is that their support to us as a team. Yeah. And I guess as the business, we're, 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 we're at that point now where traction's good and, and it's starting to move forward, but it's taken a real grunt, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and it's, you know, a start of four or five years is nothing, is it really, to get yeah. to get anywhere. So 
the business side, but the performance side, like Dan said, is, is far outweighed what we imagined in these first few years and having the belief of, because the race team has, has given us the contacts for the kind of OE partnerships that you need to sell product, to sell the bikes. And we've got that because of the race team. So it's, it is a real kind of collaboration. And question to you, Rach, um, from where you were originally as like an eight-year-old kid, um, are you where you thought you would be back in back then or have you way surpassed any expectation you ever had I mean I never I, I don't know I, I find it pretty overwhelming to look at the yeah, life ahead of this the year you're in really I don't think I've ever had any focus outside of the next six months really as a racer and I've always raced and it's always been about racing so it was always about like this year when next year when don't get hurt <laughs> And and I feel like I'm just still on that path and thinking that outside of those of races is, is pretty terrifying, really. So six months, we can't get you to think one week ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's a very reactive way to live. And it's, it's, it's a hard in some ways because now you come into to the end of your career and you do have to start thinking further ahead. And mm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'm there. <laughs> and, and what the vision's obviously changed. Like you, you mentioned COVID as well, kind of like, having to reset the goalpost almost some some part of the way. But what is the vision now? You kind of alluded to a few bits before with like, you know, growing and scaling and the new prototype you've got. But what would you say the, the vision looks like now? I mean, for me, for the bike part, um, it, the vision's quite clear. You know, it's an, it's an easier thing to scale, um, you know, in terms of the natural growth of mm. it and expanding onto... Um, into other forests and kind of growing, growing that way. But yeah, for the bike company, I think, um, I mean, Dan will be able to talk more about this, but probably being able to have um, other kind of manufacturing facilities in different continents, I think is probably ultimately the way that the business needs to go. So we're manufacturing locally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that close to market um, manufacturing model is definitely central to what our, our kind of, um, plans the brand are but yeah short term it's uh yeah realizing a product of kind of mid-range price point so that we can ultimately get give access to the afton brand to more people mm -hmm. um the, the new product we've got coming up is is going to hit a, quite a sweet spot in terms of its price point so um it's it's a it's a more volume based product but also one that we can really stand behind and be proud of as well so yeah that's the that's the big milestone that we're looking at next and in general, what have been the biggest takeaways from, from each of your journeys that you'd, you'd share with others? Who are <laughs> Don't go into business with your family. <laughs> terrible idea. Number one. Number one. Number two. <laughs> Don't go into business with your family. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Uh, and go if you do, just don't ever see each other. <laughs> no, that's not true. It's been a great idea. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of, uh, I guess for me, it's kind of, there's, there's always, you can always give more than you think you can. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good bloody job with these two. No, I, you, you can always go further than you think. And I guess it's the same when you train as an athlete, I guess. You, know, yeah. you can always go harder. You can always mm. do more. And you always surprise yourself when you, you, you think you're at the more. end and you can do more. The, the resilience that you build up in business year on year and after setback after setback and um, just, the thing I always tell myself is that this is where others give up. Yeah, 100%. And that's, that's for me, is the kind of what I tell myself when, I'm, when I need a little pep talk. It's kind of, yeah. it's kind of that. Okay, there you go. Well, Dan there's, Brown. A, there's, 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 more, a, there's, there's a lot of people. Jill, Jill here as well. You know, yeah, like this. Well, both Dan and Jill have been there from, you know, for the last 
like Jill came to work with us when her daughter was like one year one, which is mad. But Jill and Dan have like believed in it all the time, you know, from from day one, probably more than than maybe we we did. Um, and and that's they're the kind of people that that you couldn't possibly well, do it without. There's like, so many people, you know, Lloydie on the race team. You know, he's he he joined us for a good number of years and has been driving that forward. I mean, where you know, yeah, the designers, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the, you could list you know right. 50 different names really okay. and like none of this none of it would have even started without dan as as a mad kid with yeah, adhd I... probably now <laughs> would be labeled with that sort of thing yeah yeah like mum is just you know she should be here like yeah, he right. was just just different you know like got kicked out of all the nurseries got kicked out of like play groups for just he had too much energy and and he couldn't channel that energy and when he got to an age where he could do something with it and like he he doesn't like talking about it, but he he is like a he kind of draws people to mountain biking that are a bit lost in life. You know, there's so many kids over the years that have grown up with him, and and people that struggle in those kind of societal like norms, like school and and, oh, yeah. and those areas where you don't fit in. You just feel like <laughs> you don't. No, but you've you've helped so many people that don't fit mm-hmm. into that kind of traditional way of of going through life and mm. and you know you didn't really at school it's, it's it's so inspiring to have someone you know and and lots of of successful people are like that you know dyslexic or all yeah, these 100%. these things that in school are seen as bad things but they're actually like amazing things for for dedicating your life to uh, to something and succeeding and i think it's so inspiring so we no one really <clears throat> talks about yeah just, i think like, if you can find a focus for it that's the that's the key, you know. And some people find it, and some people don't. A single-minded yeah, yeah. drive to yeah to do something is is it's incredible. Yeah, I think coming back to your question before about what would you take from it all, I think just not being afraid to commit everything, and I think we learned that from racing. You know, every athlete will say that, um, but when it comes to business, I think you just it's terrifying. But if you're going to be successful, you do have to literally commit everything mm. you have. You know, you're remolding your mm. houses, you're, ev- you're all in, you know, so it can't fail. Because yeah. there's a lot of competition out there and there's a lot of talented people and they're going to, you know, if you don't go all the way, they're, they're, they're going to. Yeah, so. and I feel like, yeah, because we, we've had an interview like that with someone to work with and, and he wasn't willing to take those risks. You know? yeah. and we, we were just like... You've got to be willing to put it all on the line, and and it's I think it's terrifying. Like, and it's, yeah, it it can go, you know, two ways. But yeah, if and you're I, not all in, then yeah. I guess it is only going to go two ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like I've I've always thought like having a plan B is a terrible idea because, like Dan said, you're not when it you're comes to that in. that extra one percent yeah. where you're like, I've got to do it. You know, you've got a fallback plan and you're safe, and that's I I feel like that's a terrible idea because. You need to have that hundred percent like commitment to the, to it, right? Yeah. And I always do this, but the Eminem song like success is the only option because <laughs> failure. Like he was in the <laughs> ghetto, like he was in that caravan, yeah. and he wanted to get out, and the only way he could get out was to make something of himself. Eight mile, wasn't it? Was that yeah. Right? yeah, and so many people like that. So many athletes and yeah. sex, singers, successful people, they've come from like the gnarliest places, and they just wanted like out, and the only way is to succeed. And it's yeah. like, and you can keep doing that in life, even when you have succeeded by 
taking on more risk. So you take a massive mortgage for to buy a mountain. Well, that's you've got to make it work. So you need to pay off that mortgage. There is no plan. There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's working. And like yeah, you, yeah. you take those risks, and you you have to make it work. And yeah, I feel like that's a really good or terrible way to to push yourself. And last question um, for those who need help to get from where they are in whatever situation they're currently in to get to where they want to be in life. Any advice from each of you? I feel like a lot of people, you know, like you wouldn't, like we say this, you take risks, like it's really good to take risks, push yourself, but you've got to be realistic. Like you wouldn't just, you know, tomorrow I wouldn't just say, I'm going to start a Thai restaurant because I've got no experience in Taiwanese food. Like you say, you've got to practice to perfect and you 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 don't take a stupid risk an uncalculated risk you know yeah. you're starting a bike park you've had 20 years experience of building track you know so it's got to be a risk that you have it's calculated and you do have experience in yeah you can do anything you really can but it's got to be you, you've got to sort of have experience in that it's stupid yeah and that's something i took away from working with richard branson for 20 years was that everyone always thinks god was so everything was such massive risky and it was like everything was calculated yeah every exactly. single yeah. risk was calculated whether it was bringing out competitor to um coca-cola and pepsi yeah. or whether it was having a pop-up ba and, you and research taking it, yeah Absolutely. you want to start a pizza restaurant fine but you need to work in a pizza like work you know build that knowledge and that skill set before you take that leap and i think you build risk you know he won't have started by taking a huge risk you know yeah he's he's built up from the start with a record company and mm. you know taking risk more risk bigger 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 and you get it's all relative isn't it? you get good at calculating risk and you get good at dealing with risk and you get good at risk management and managing people getting people to buy into that risk and take you know their own risk in their own lives to help you on your way mm. and yeah, slowly. Yeah, and Build I think slowly. I, I think one of the things you've always said is is like do what you're good at, which I guess is the yeah. same as like yeah, not not taking a stupid risk. Like you do what you're good at, and you get other people to help with the things you're not so good at, rather than trying to do it all yourself. Like I've always struggled a bit with that. Like oh, I can do the social media for this company. I can do this. And Dan's like, you can't do everything, you know. No. Do what you're good at. And, I think and you can do everything it. if you only want it to grow to a certain size. But yep. at a certain size, it becomes micromanaging, mm. you know. And other people out there are better at at, at it Things. than you. Yeah. You know, you're mm. good at one thing, and it's so easy. You see, so many times where a business becomes successful, and the person that started that business stops doing what they were good at and moves into another area of the business yeah. and it just doesn't work, you know? St- stick to what you're good at and get people in who, who are experts in, in their area. Well, look, thank you very much indeed for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks you. for having us. Uh, Dan, Rach, Brownie, thank you. Thanks very After much. Bikes, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Screw It, Just Do It. If you enjoyed this episode, and it has, or will move you closer to where you want to be, Wally asks is that you forward it on or share the link on your socials so that it helps at least one other person do the same. You can watch this and all future episodes on YouTube. Just search Screw It, Just Do It in the search bar or hit the link in the show description. 
I always appreciate a rating and a review, and it takes just two minutes to scroll down and leave your stars and comments. Those keep us moving towards where we want to be. Remember, nothing is out of your reach when you know where you want to be. Just ask yourself what small action will move you forward to get from where you are, then screw it and just do it. Until next time.